This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us again. I want to commend the lawmakers in the state of Arkansas for overriding the veto of their governor, Asa Hutchinson. What in the world was that guy thinking? I mean, we had Christy Nome not too long ago botch that whole issue of the transgender issue uh, out in South Dakota, and she's making all kinds of weird statements about that. And now we have what's going on in Arkansas. Just to bring you up to speed, the House and Senate overrode this veto that the Republican governor, Asa Hutchinson, made of HB 1570. This is a bill called the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act or the SAFE Act. It would prohibit a physician or other healthcare provider in Arkansas from providing any gender transition procedures to minors that are intended to alter the gender of a child or delay puberty. And the reason they talk about chemical castration is because of the effects of these cross-sex hormones and these experimental puberty blocking drugs that can have long-term horrible effects on fertility and who knows else what. You know, when you're talking about little kids who are just hitting puberty or aren't even to puberty yet and you want to experiment with hormones, it's unbelievable. And what's more unbelievable is that this governor wimped out on it. And by the way, did an incredibly, I think, harmful to his political career interview with Tucker Carlson on Fox News. One of the things that Tucker asked him about is this bill prohibiting chemical castration, uh, according to the governor, would have been signed if that's all it was about. And yet the question is, why wouldn't you intervene to protect kids from this kind of insanity when you have other kinds of laws on the book protecting kids? You don't let little kids drive cars. You don't let little kids get married. So he was appealing to Reagan and some other conservative principles of limited government. I mean, at some point it just falls flat. But He was asked, why is this a conservative value in your view to not get involved and make this bill law? And this is what he said, cut six. Well, first of all, you have parents involved in very difficult decisions. You have physicians that are involved in these decisions. And uh, I go back to William Buckley. I go back to Ronald Reagan, the principles of our party, uh, which believes in a limited role of government. Are we as a party abandoning a limited role of government and saying we're going to invoke the government decision making over and above physicians, over and above health care, over and above parents? I I don't get it at all. Are you really trying to make the argument that President Reagan would have been in favor of giving chemically altered hormone treatments to little kids to change their sexes? I mean, he's probably spinning in his grave right now. I'm thinking of all of these greats of the past. If you could just catapult them into 2021 and see some of the insanity that's going on, what their reactions would be. I do this all the time. What would happen if my grandparents were alive to see this? I know what they would be saying and doing. They'd be acting like us, but probably with more fervor because it's so out of the 
out of the box. I mean, it's not even out of the box. It's completely out of control. Uh, here's what's interesting, though. Apparently, there was a study done in the UK talking about the overwhelming number of kids who have horrendous side effects from these hormones, including suicide and the urge to commit self-harm. And so Hutchinson was asked, why, why would you support something like this when we have studies out showing how much this harms kids? And this is what he said. Cut seven. Well, I actually uh, reviewed some of that study. I reviewed the high court decision there, and I think they are uh, different than what you're talking about here. Sure, there's a lot of unknowns here. Uh, I studied this bill uh, in contrast to what you just said. I spent a lot of time reviewing cases, uh, meeting with people, listening to the experts, as well as to faith leaders as well. And I'm a person of faith, uh, but at the same time, I'm a person of limited role of government. Uh, I signed pro-life bills. Uh, I signed uh, many bills that uh, would be looked at as uh, very conservative, but this is one that crosses the line. It's ridiculous. And by the way, when did it become a conservative value to say we shouldn't have any laws in place that would hamstring the ability of doctors to make a mint off families in situations like this? I mean, you have all kinds of laws on the books that make sure that the medical profession is not out of control and, you know, has good boundaries around it legally. I mean, we do that all across society. Why in this case do you say, well, it's really up to the parents and their medical professionals? Um, have you done any deep dive into some of these medical professionals who are making bank over these gender transitions, over the gender hormone? Are you, there's so much money to be made. And what about these studies? And by the way, when you do have all these laws pertaining to kids, do you think that it is less harmful to allow kids to have these hormone treatments than it is to let them drive a car because I can name people I know from the state of Arkansas who started learning to drive in the young teens 13 14 it does go on and you have laws against that right why do you have laws against that these guys these girls learn to drive at a young age maybe they live out on a farm dad says here i'll show you how to do it here put it in drive okay here's how you start the car okay here's how you steer these kinds of things it's against the law why why, why can't the parent let the arkansas kid drive around the farm a little bit without the state getting involved Okay, that's something that the state says we need to be involved, and I agree. You shouldn't let 13-year-olds drive. Of course not. But why would you make an exception for something this insane? Here's what I find very interesting. There was an article in Newsweek. This was back in February, and it was written by a woman who refers to herself as a transgender man. And the opinion piece headline says, we need balance when it comes to gender dysphoric kids. I would know. Listen to this. I'm going to try to get through as much of this as I can. She says, I was thrilled when the medical community told me six years ago that I could change from a woman to a man. I was informed about all the wonderful things that would happen due to medical transition, but all the negatives were glossed over. Since then, I have suffered tremendously, including seven surgeries, a pulmonary embolism, an induced stress heart attack, sepsis, a 17-month recurring infection, 16 rounds of antibiotics, three weeks of daily IV antibiotics, arm reconstructive surgery, lung, heart, and bladder damage, insomnia, hallucinations, PTSD, $1 million in medical expenses, and loss of home, car, career in marriage. All this, and yet I cannot sue the surgeon responsible in part because there is no structured, tested, or widely accepted baseline for transgender health care. 
I wonder if Governor Hutchinson read this. There is no structured, tested, or widely accepted baseline for transgender health care and not just for the adults, also not for the many minors embarking on medical transition in record numbers. It is not transphobic or discriminatory to discuss this. We as a society need to fully understand what we are encouraging our children to do to their bodies. She said, throughout transition, I second-guessed my decisions, but each counseling session and doctor's appointment amounted to one more push, convincing me I could be cured of being born in the wrong body. The truth was that I didn't fit in as a dominant, aggressive, assertive lesbian. The dream of finally fitting in dangled like a carrot. The idea that I could fit in catapulted me to a time much like adolescence with its drive for acceptance, inclusive peers, and the fantasy of being normal. And yet during my post-operation 17 months of sheer survival, I discovered that transgender healthcare is experimental and that large swaths of the medical industry encourage minors to transition due at least in part to fat profit margins. There you have it. What the human rights campaign will never tell you. And this is interesting. Here I am, a trans man, she says, sifting through my decisions, embracing who I am. Our children don't have a prayer to embrace the reality of something it takes a lifetime to understand. Here's what I could not comprehend before transitioning and what I honestly believe no child is capable of consenting to. Listen to this list. Decreased life expectancy. Increased risk of premature death from heart attacks and pulmonary embolisms, bone damage, possible liver damage, increased mental health complications, higher suicide rates than non-trans population, chance of stunted brain development, much reduced chance for lifelong sexual pleasure, higher chance of sterility and infertility, no improved mental health outcomes, and not completely reversible. Now, this is about the transition, but there are also downsides clearly to these hormone treatments, which was evident in that UK study saying that these kids have a ratcheted up rate of attempted suicide and actual suicide from taking these hormones. Thank you, Arkansas legislature. You guys did the right thing. Governor Scott Walker is going to join us next from Wisconsin. He's now president of Young America's Foundation, a great plan for young Americans to uphold our foundational principles. We'll be right back on Janet Effort today. When this young mom came to a preborn center, she was planning to have an abortion. But after receiving love and support and meeting her baby on ultrasound, she chose life. When I walked in for the ultrasound and I saw my baby and I heard his heartbeat, my mind changed completely. I couldn't do that to my baby. I decided to keep it. Preborn partners with clinics and cities with the highest abortion rates in the country. Will you help preborn save these precious lives? When a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life. And that's just the beginning of the story. I know that with support and with God by my side, I'll be able to do this, not just for me, but for my baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a pre-born banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a health care program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new health care program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. 
More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. In his famous speech, A Time for Choosing, Ronald Reagan famously noted, if we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And one wonders what the former president would think of America today at a time when our freedoms are under unprecedented threat from within. We are seeing this in everything from cancel culture to big tech censorship of conservatives to protests at college campuses over the appearance of conservative speakers. And of course, if we are to continue to enjoy our freedoms here in America, it's more important than ever before to educate and inspire young Americans to preserve our foundational principles into the future. And that is why my next guest is promoting a bold plan called The Long Game, which will help ensure that future generations of Americans pass on the same love of country and freedom to their children that our parents passed on to us. So joining us now to tell us more is the new president of Young America's Foundation, former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. It's great to have you with us, Governor. How are you? I'm outstanding. Thanks for having me on. Oh, good thing to hear. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. You are certainly well known for your boldness against the left. And I'm wondering what your particular concerns are right now with the left's influence on the minds of young Americans in particular. Well, we just see our country under siege and not only on college campuses, but all throughout school. We see it seeping in the culture. We see it uh, even increasingly in our communications with the censorship from big tech. So we we laid out this long game uh, plan because we know it's not enough to just be involved in the battle of the day. The left has been at this for decades, uh, going all the way back in the 1960s to Saul Alinsky and his efforts. We've seen them systematically chip away at our Judeo-Christian values and our founding principles. And really, that's what the long game is all about. It's not not dismissing the battles of the day. we still got to be involved there, but having a long-term, long-range, long-game plan their country back on track again. Well, right. Now, when you're talking about college campuses in particular, we see so much going on there. We see conservative speakers shouted down, like I mentioned before, and we see a lot of conservatives even afraid to speak up on their own campuses. We've seen polls about that where they're afraid to say what they actually believe. How do you address that in the long game? Well, it's a series of things. It's a 12-point action plan. In fact, if people want a copy, they can get a free copy mailed to them at yaf.org slash long game. But we go through things not only getting more students involved, being at all 4,000-plus campuses, but particularly using, rightfully so, using the U.S. Constitution and the provisions guaranteeing free speech uh, as something we're, you know, we're, we want to win in the court of public opinion, but if need be, we're going to go and win in the court of law. We've had some success already in the past. For example, Ben Shapiro, UC Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley, tried to prevent our students from bringing him in, putting up unrealistic barriers. We won, and they had to reverse their policy. Now we're taking it much more aggressively, not only to colleges, but to schools and elsewhere, to say we're going to seek out those who need our assistance to make sure that not only for speakers, but any conservative voice can be heard, including another one of our action items, which is conservative or even just objective educators, teachers and professors 
who sometimes feel just as threatened as our students do. Well, right. So when you're talking about creating a support network for educators who are free thinkers and they might feel some of the fear and intimidation and the backlash on their campuses, how do you do that? Because you have obviously left domination, leftist domination on college campuses. How do you get around that? How do you, obviously through the court system, you can do it quite a bit. But as far as those lone conservatives that can be feeling very isolated on some of these campuses, how do you strengthen them? Well, it's a combination of things. Again, legally, we're needed to invoke that, but also a matter of uh, pushing, uh, for example, by creating this network, the, the, the impact that they've had on students and just others in society has been they try to marginalize the conservative or even just objective voices out there. They try to make us feel that if we're not, we're, we're seeing it even play out nationally in this nonsense over the, the very reasonable election integrity law in Georgia, as an example, where they, they try to get corporate America and media outlets and others to buy into this, we've got to stand up and let our students, our educators, our conservatives in general, students and otherwise know uh, that they're not alone, uh, that they're that not only do others share their beliefs, but that we're going to give them the support that they need, the backing they need, the tools. One of the reasons why, and it's in our, our plan as well, why we've seen such tremendous growth, for example, in YouTube, which is the number one way that young people get their information. Our, our long-term goal to get up to 5 million subscribers and over a billion views. But one of the reasons why it went up so much this year is when we showed uh, previously taped speeches, of not just the speeches from our largest uh, group of conservative speakers on campus, as we do with YF, but when we showed them taking questions, that's why we see tremendous, it's almost like a magnet drawing conservative students and just conservatives in general into our our YouTube pages, because they want to see how do I respond to this? How do I push back? And so creating this network uh, for educators as well, I think is incredibly important. Um, and, and to counter not only some of their colleagues, but oftentimes some of the materials, the curriculum, and oftentimes even the textbooks that are just horribly wrong. We've yep. seen it time and time again. we got to push back on it. Well, right. You've also talked about the action plan developing programs for younger students as well. Tell us what you have in mind for the younger students, even going down to the middle school level. Yeah, middle school and maybe even in the latter stages of elementary school. We, we see with the 1619 Project and other things, we've got schools across America teaching our students to hate this country. Yeah. Uh, we want to counter that with materials uh, that are age-appropriate, that in younger ages can be even targeted towards helping parents offset some of this, that talk about our founding principles, that talk about the love for our country and the benefits of our founders, that talk about our Judeo-Christian values. These are all things that are either missing, um, there's an absolute omission, or worse yet, there's contradiction. And in each of those cases, we've got to help teach young people about what America is and why this country is so great. We know that people every year, more than a million people legally come to this country. Uh, we know we're the largest by far, four times greater than the next country uh, in terms of foreign-born citizens. Why do so many people in many cases risk their lives to come here? Because of the freedom and the opportunity that is unique to these United States of America, we've got to give our students and in many cases younger students, parents, uh, the tools to counter the nonsense from the left. That's great. Now, when we're talking about the Internet, obviously we have to talk about big tech a little bit because big tech has been very, very successful, especially during this past election, in silencing even the president of the United States. So it's a challenge going forward. And I'm curious for your opinion, because Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas had weighed in this week saying that really we need to get to a point where big tech is treated like utilities. In other words, you can't kick people off. They have too much power. How do you feel about that? 
Well, again, I, I think there, there's a case to be made. Certainly, I've felt for some time and, and hope that at some point in the future, when the Congress is under better control, <laughs> to look at pulling back on the Section 230 liability protections. But if they don't, this, again, this is, I think, was well, as, as often as the case, and not just in this instance, uh, Clarence Thomas is one of the most brilliant minds in American history when it comes to the law. And so the warnings he raised there, I think, are very legitimate. They, if they're acting like a platform, that's one thing. But if they're acting uh, like a publisher, uh, then they shouldn't have the same legal protections uh, that have been written into Section 230. And so we've got to only push back there. I also think you know, one of our action items is to create our own digital component that can do an end round around these other sources to provide conservative students and just conservatives in general uh, with some of the tools they need to, to fight back, not just the mechanics of it, but literally substantively the arguments and the ways to access those arguments to help them in school, in the classroom, uh, on their dorm, in their communities, and for those of us who've been older, even at work. Yeah, right. Well, when we're talking about the cultural crisis that we're in right now, we see the influence, for example, of critical theory and also critical race theory, especially during the pandemic and the protests and all the stuff that's gone on in the last several months. And this is something that is reinforced all the time through media. When you have young people going online and they're seeing it, they go to school, they're hearing it. How do you create a new message that will be just as pervasive pertaining to the great ideals that that we inherited as Americans, the freedoms that we enjoy, the wonderful ideas that our founders put in place that gave us the nation we have today. How do we compete with that? How do we eradicate some of the bad ideas, in other words? Well, again, like a battle and ultimately a war, uh, we we should cede no ground. We shouldn't buy into any other terminology. We should push back and we, we ultimately need to get back to the basics. That's one of the good things about being post uh, a national presidential election. We can get back to the basics, and the basics are simple here. Uh, the radicals on the left are pushing a divisive country where they pit one group of Americans versus another. If you don't agree with them, they, they don't just debate you. They want to shut you down. Or, or worse yet, they, they want to brand you as any number of awful things out there that far too many buy into. Conversely, we get back to the basics and say our message is the same no matter who you are, young yeah. or old, rich or poor, black or white, you know, where you come from, what's your background. Uh, our message is simple. We love America because we know in this country freedom and opportunity is available to everyone no matter what their background. That's something we have to fight to preserve. And I think young people increasingly understand that when they look at this last year, uh, not only globally the failures of socialism, but the failures – even in states like New York and California, where the government overstepped its bounds. And we've seen the failure not only economically, but but even in terms of health results versus states like Florida and Texas, for example, yeah. where uh, they sided with the people and put their faith in the individual and the family versus the government. They've been fared much, much better, not only economically, but in terms of even the health status of their citizens. That's a great lesson for us to share to young people and, and, and young at heart as well. Well, right. Governor Walker, do you think that the long game, will we have enough time to play the long game in order to turn things around? Absolutely. Ronald Reagan, I came of age when he was president. He made me not just a conservative, but an optimist. I am optimistic. You know, we've gone through a lot uh, in more than two centuries of these United States of America. And I know, you know, we've survived two world wars, a depression, all sorts of other challenges. We can take on the things we're taking on today, but we've got to get back to the basics. And uh, we can't just get caught up in the battles of the day. Uh, Don't see those, but have a long game approach 
to win the war for the heart and soul of this great republic. And that's why I hope people join us. Again, we'll send you a free copy of the plan. Long Game is the name. YAF.org slash Long Game is the way to get it. We hope you'll, if you're a student, come and join us. If you know a student, plug them in or you just want to help out, join us in our fight. That sounds great. Young America's Foundation President, former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. Thank you so much, Governor, for being with us. God bless you. You too. Thanks for having You bet. Thanks again for being with us. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. I'm going to get into something that is pretty shocking in the second half of the program. And so if you have young kids in the car with you or they're in the kitchen or wherever you happen to be listening to the broadcast, you might want to make sure they're out of earshot. But this is important enough that you need to hear this. Now, I'm going to go back a couple of years for those of you who might be newer to the program than others. But several years ago, in about May of 2018, I started telling the world about this upcoming conference called Revoice. And a lot of people know about Revoice now. We did about 100,000 shows on it. We did a wonderful conference refuting Revoice called the God's Voice Conference in 2019. And what Revoice is, uh, they started out as this push for LGBTQ plus Christianity in the historic Christian tradition. But they said, oh, but we're celibate. You know, we have same sex attraction, but we're celibate. And we went into all the details about this really in, in excruciating detail. So I don't want to tread ground, the same ground that we've talked about quite a bit. But at any rate, the bottom line was we were warning from day one about Revoice being an attempt to quote unquote, queer the evangelical conservative circles of the church. And that's exactly what happened. Revoice was scheduled to take place at a Presbyterian Church in America congregation in St. Louis. The PCA was a conservative offshoot of the PCUSA going all the way back to 1973. And in the last several years, it's become increasingly progressive. They are moving decidedly in a pro-LGBT direction. And, uh, you know, now we see it all. We see what's going on in the PCA and other circles within formerly conservative evangelicalism. So we have been warning about Revoice for several years now and will continue to do so. And I just have evidence now that everything we have been warning about since 2018 was warranted because it started out with them trying to say, oh, well, we're just we promote uh, celibate gay people in the church and that's fine. And of course, you're not addressing the issue of repentance and the fact that uh, lusts are sin before you ever get around to committing behavior. That's true whether or not you're heterosexual or homosexual. So we've gone into detail on that as well. But 2021 will bring about another Revoice conference in the Dallas area. It's coming out this fall in October. And they put out a webinar. It only recently came to light on the internet. And I want to get into this because this just shows you the downgrade. They start out by saying, well, we're just promoting gay celibacy in the church. And you know, it never stops there. It never, ever stops with just, we just want to do this. It always continues to spiral downward in a spiritual downgrade. And this thing is on a collision course. It's just, it's so bad. It's hard for me to even 
quantify it. You have to hear this for yourself. So I'm going to set up what you're going to hear. There is a webinar put out called Better Together. And in this webinar, it features a gay straight duo. Both of these men are youth pastors. Now keep in mind, this is a Revoice webinar on YouTube. One of them is named Art Pereira. He is a New Jersey youth pastor. He's a youth director of youth ministry at Hope Presbyterian Church, a PCA church in New Jersey. His straight friend is named Nick Galluccio, who is also a youth and young adult pastor at a church called Stonecrest Community Church in New Jersey. And they're talking about their friendship, referring to it as a family and a household. Two men. One who claims to be celibate gay, the other one who claims to be straight. That's the setup, and you get to hear how this went down. So let's listen first to this is Art, the celibate gay PCA youth pastor. Cut one. It started developing to where we realized, okay, we're family, what's that mean? And Nick started feeling more and more called. Like, I remember this one day specifically, I was like crying about the weight of celibacy, like coming home from work and having no one to like sit down with after a long day at work. And I gotten like attacked at work that day, and it was just the worst. And I just had no one. And Nick's calling me and I'm like crying. And I remember you going like, well, it's it's really important to me that you wouldn't just come home to no one every day. And I'm like, well, that's great. But like, what does that mean? Right. Um, so over the past two years, two years we've developed uh, kind of our vision for what life's going to look like. And, and this friendship's become, um, became a family and then became a household. So um, it's been a lot of time together and a lot of hard conversations, uh, but we moved in together 10 days ago, 10 days ago, um, which by the way, if, if you struggle with insecurity, a two-year lease is such a great way to lock someone in. Highly recommend like a legal contract and his security deposits in my name. So like I got his money. He's, he's staying like he's, he's mine. Two youth pastors. Can you believe this? Can you believe what you are hearing here? This discussion about I was crying about the weight of celibacy, his homosexual celibacy, and I needed to lock someone down. Can you imagine locking him down? And isn't it hilarious, you know, that with a two-year lease, he's staying, he's mine. What is this talk? These are two youth pastors. And, and it just gets worse. Let's listen to cut two. We consider each other brothers. We're deeply committed to each other, um, which has taken me some while to trust that, but it's really cool that now I can. Uh, but we're planning on sharing life together for the rest of our lives, which we're not totally sure what that looks like. Obviously, Nick is straight and he does plan on getting married, but we're totally committed to finding a way to, to live together and function as a household. And there's different ideas of what that looks like, right? There's a lot of details we don't know. Do I you know, live in a house with them or do I live next door? My, my dream world is to have a hobbit hole out back, like an actual hobbit hole. And I just like go retreat to my hobbit hole every day. Um, also, I don't want to live with screaming kids. So that sounds awesome. But uh, no offense to anyone with kids. Kids are a blessing from the Lord, just not for the celibate man. So, um, you know, but we, we've got a few things worked out, which is that we don't move without each other. Um, if he moves, I move. If I move, he moves. And uh, we make decisions together as a family, uh, whatever, like big, like if we get a, if I get a job someplace and that means uh, a change of location, that's a decision we make as a family. Uh, when he has a wife one day, she'll make those decisions with us. She'll make decisions with us. That's a thruple, is it not? That's a thruple. So we're not going to be apart from each other here. If he moves, I move with him. If I move, he moves with me. And if my straight roommate, who I think is really cute, ends up getting married, then she's going to have to work together with us as a family. Uh, that's a throuple. That's 
that's something completely outside the boundaries of Scripture. I don't even think I need to make that point. This is a new definition of family. This is where Revoice is now. They're openly admitting it. They're promoting this garbage. So I'm a homosexual. My roommate, who I think is really cute, is straight. We're both youth pastors. And someday when he gets married to a woman, we'll all be a family. Are you kidding me? And then listen to his fears. Cut three. I think the romantic feelings can be more complicated now, now that I've dealt with a lot of the internalized homophobia and I I know how to wrestle through like attraction and lust and whatever, because uh, there's this fear of like falling in love. Um, Actually, um, we didn't remember what birthday it was. There was one of his birthdays we're out to dinner and I was being weird. And it was like early into me being celibate. And he was like, what's going on? I'm like, it's your birthday. We don't got to talk about it. He's like, well, it's my birthday and I want to talk about it. And I said, okay, so what happens if I fall in love with you? And we're like in the middle of a restaurant. It was really awkward. Uh, And he just looked at me and said, well, we're we're brothers and we'll figure it out. And that meant the world that that's where he stood. But for me, there's like so much fear fear because like we're extremely close. We share pretty much everything. There's lots of intimacy in our relationship, but I'm still a celibate guy and I don't have romantic intimacy in my life. And it makes me scared that it'll be painful to watch him get married. You know, it makes me scared that it'll be painful to to experience that or to sometimes desire a sort of closeness with him that I can't have, but also that he doesn't want. And that's a weird part of it, too, is there's moments where I'm tempted to, like, feel less loved than I actually am because he doesn't necessarily love me with any, like, he doesn't have those, like, muddy, weird romantic feelings intertwined with the friendship, right? He just, like, loves me so much as his friend and his brother. And so... Sometimes I convince myself that because he doesn't love me the same way, he doesn't love me as much as I love him. And that's just not true. Unbelievable. This man is a director of youth ministry in a PCA church. Let me say that again. This man who's talking about his fear of falling in love with another man with whom he's living, who might get a wife someday and together they can all be a family He is a director of youth ministry at a PCA congregation. Would you want to put your child under the direction of this man or the man with whom he's living at his church where he is a youth and young adult pastor? This is what's happening in evangelical circles, beloved. This is what the fruit of Revoice really is. And I'll tell you what. There is more to come on this particular video, and I think it's very important for you to hear it. You are listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll be right back. Fellow Christians are suffering in Africa. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Pastor Lumo ministers in Mozambique near the Indian Ocean. He's been beaten and jailed many times, not merely for what he believes, but for how he lives out his faith. You see, Lumo has been quietly and faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims, and many are coming to Christ. But extremists have assaulted Lumo, his family, and many in his church. But they're not asking for an end to the persecution they face. Instead, they're praying for God's word to endure and 
and persevere as new followers of Jesus Christ. That's exactly why we're partnering with Bible League International to send Bibles to 1,500 new believers in Africa. $5 sends a Bible, $50 sends 10, and every gift given will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's an Open the Floodgates banner at JanetMefford.com. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, and God bless you for caring. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, I am playing some excerpts from a very shocking video. It's on YouTube, but only recently came to life on social media. And I want to thank Pastor Sean Mathis. He's a pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and has been very much on this anti-revoice train since we first exposed it back in 2018. He's been absolutely fabulous in upholding biblical truth in regards to revoice, this pro-LGBTQ plus Christianity effort that is trying to basically initiate the acceptance of homosexuality within conservative evangelical circles. And every time they claim they're just in the historic Christian tradition, what they do shows who they really are. This one is just mind-blowing. You have two men in this video. This is a webinar from Revoice, and you can find it on YouTube. It's called Better Together. It involves a homosexual man who claims he's celibate by the name of Art Pereira. He is a director of youth ministry at Hope Presbyterian Church, a PCA church in New Jersey, and his straight friend is Nick Galluccio, who is a youth pastor at Stonecrest Community Church, also in New Jersey. And they're talking about their life together as a family and as a household, and maybe someday Nick will get married, and then the three of them will figure out how to do life together. I want to play a little bit more from Art. This is the celibate homosexual youth pastor who works in a PCA church and loves Revoice. This is Cut Four. And the next challenge is just, we have really different personalities. Um, anyone who knows us, we're totally opposite. He's introverted. I mean, heavily introverted. I'm heavily extroverted. Uh, we show love and affection really differently. I'm very touchy. He's very nice. A lot more these days. But I mean, when we first met, like getting a hug from Nick was like, I mean, it was winning a Nobel Peace Prize. It meant a lot. Like it was a big deal. Um, but I, I felt unloved sometimes because he just shows love differently. You know, and he shows affection really differently than I do. Our communication styles are different. So I'm, I like, I could text you all day and talk on the phone for hours. And Nick does not want to do either of those things. Okay. You might be wondering at this point, and I think many people would be wondering at this point, why would a straight guy want to live with a man like this? Why would you want to be roommates with somebody who is basically hitting on you, calling you cute, locking you down with two-year leases in your apartment and doing creepy videos with you? 
And by the way, when you go back and you listen to the beginning of the video where he talks about how he met Nick, this is Art, the homosexual, the celibate homosexual. How did he meet Nick? He talked about how they went to Nyack College together and he basically was, you know, always trying to, how shall I say it? Uh, get to know the guys involved in youth ministry. And so eventually he liked Nick and Nick came over for tea. Why would a straight man be on board with this? You know what I'm saying? It's weird. If you're straight, if you're heterosexual, normal, you know, male, and you want to get married someday and have a family, what are you doing? Why is this guy doing this? And by the way, one of the creepiest things about this video is at one point, Art puts his hand up in the video and he has a wedding ring on. Okay, I don't know what that's all about. Maybe he just likes wearing a band on his left, you know, fourth finger and it's just uh, ornamental to him, but I found it a little bit weird. Really a little bit weird. More than that. So, let's go to Nick because Nick, the straight roommate, did weigh in and you can hear for yourself as you listen to him speak how conflicted and confused and out of it the guy really is when it comes to his own life. Listen to Cut 5. There's different possibilities for the reasons that like I'm uncomfortable in a, mo- in a moment. And like, so maybe I'm uncomfortable for because of a good and healthy boundary, but maybe there's homophobia or like perception issues or intimacy issues that I've just grown up with or like, or maybe it really is like a healthy boundary that I have. But that question, like, why is this making me uncomfortable? In, instead of just the assumption that, well, I'm uncomfortable. So you need to change. Like, uh, like I've needed to take a step back and go, hold on a second, just because I'm uncomfortable doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean like it, it means like at least at the very least I need to go, hold on a second. Why am I uncomfortable here? Because not only is there like discomfort, whether it's homophobia or things like that, but even like Brazilian culture is a lot more touchy than, uh, like I, I don't like physical touch as much as he does for lots of different reasons. Almost no one likes physical touch as much as I do. <laughs> okay. Can you hear in the voice of the straight friend there how uncomfortable he is with the entire thing, but he doesn't have the wherewithal, either biblically, emotionally, or in any other way to see what's going on here, which you and I, by listening to this, can figure out exactly what's going on here. He's questioning himself. He's not looking at the situation and saying, wow, this is creepy. This is really creepy. You have a guy who's calling me cute and locking me down with a two-year lease and wanting to be part of my life forever, even if I get married. You know, a normal man would go, run away. I'm out of here. But not Nick. Not Nick. And he's not appealing to scripture. Instead, he's accusing himself of potentially being homophobic. See, this is this is what has the devil written all over it, folks. Did God really say that is the famous line of the serpent, and he's still saying it to people. Did God really say that it's wrong for two men to live together when one is attracted to the other and the other one wants a wife someday and the one who's attracted to the other man says we should have a family someday with a woman and you can be married to her, but she's going to come along and we'll all make decisions together as a family? Like, it's completely creepy and demonic. And I am not trying to be over the top. I honestly think it is completely demonic that you have this man to the point where he can't even figure out why he's uncomfortable. I don't know if it's the boundaries. I just like if it's an inappropriate boundaries here, or, or maybe I'm just homophobic. I, this just isn't going to end well for this man. I have no idea who he is or where it ends well. But I'll tell you the thing that concerns me way more than even what you're hearing 
These men are youth pastors. These men are in churches. These men are working, presumably, with other men, with other young men, teenagers, boys. I don't know how old the boys are or the girls are with whom they're dealing, but they're youth. Would that bother you as a parent? It bothers me. It would bother me tremendously. Why are these men in the ministry? Why are these men in the ministry? I'll tell you why. Because when we had the opportunity years ago to fight this agenda and to get ahead of it and to say, this is what the word of God says, and we're not moving on this, and we will not tolerate anything that goes up against the word of God when it comes to homosexuality and the homosexual agenda, we didn't do it. Why? Because you had a lot of people who didn't want to be considered homophobic. Would you rather be called a homophobe and protect your church from this kind of influence? Or would you rather avoid being called names and allow all of this revoicing to come into your church? Because that's what's going to happen. Folks, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And I can say this from having followed Revoice from day one. We broke the story. We know exactly what Revoice was about from day one. And we knew the trajectory would be going downward, 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 downward. And now we're at this issue. A gay straight couple with the potential for a third party in the mix in the future. What woman would marry a man in that situation? Oh, they'll probably find someone. They'll probably find somebody. Nate Collins, who is the founder of Revoice, is married. His wife puts up with all this nonsense. Oh, I'm attracted to men. What wife would put up with that? You're married to me. You're married to me. We have a family. We have children. You claim to be a Christian. You are off the mark. You need to be called to repentance, Nate. You need to be called back to God's word and obedience to God's word. You are playing with fire, Nate. And he is. And yet it keeps spreading. And more and more people who have not put up biblical barriers against, did God really say, are going to fall into this trap. It's only going to get worse. And the fact that you have a Presbyterian church in America putting this guy on staff and you have a Christian and Missionary Alliance church, in the case of Nick, having that guy on staff, given his life situation, is a travesty. It's a travesty. And we're not allowed to have any moral outrage whatsoever unless we're going after people who are presumably homophobic. We'll reserve all of our moral outrage for people who have a problem with videos like this. Well, I'm turning the tables because I know what the Lord says in his word. And the Lord is slow to anger, but the Lord is a holy, righteous God. He is holy, holy, holy. And this is an abomination for men who are working in churches and claiming to speak for God and claiming to have been called to the ministry to be pushing this kind of nonsense, and it will not end well. I can say that definitively. It will not end well. And what happens when the next generation of kids in those churches is inevitably hearing this kind of nonsense coming out of the mouths of their youth pastors? What do you think that's going to do to the kids? Oh, yeah, LGBT, it's awesome. It's great. It's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with it. And who needs the Bible anyway? We'll just take the Bible and turn it into whatever we want it to be. And you know what? The devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. It is his nature to lie, and he can't do anything else. There is no truth in him, the Lord Jesus said. We have to stand against this as an Ephesians 6 situation, church. We really, really do. Put on the armor of God. Take up the shield of faith and fasten that belt of truth around your waist because, church, you're going to need it in these days. And may God protect and guide us in these very dark days. 
praying for these people to come to repentance and faith in the true God and his Savior, Son, Jesus Christ. We got to go. Thanks for being with us on Janet Mefford today. Always a pleasure to have you. We'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Mefford today has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.